can turn your Bibles to, we're going to go back to 1 Peter again just for, for a week. Um, let me get this out of the way because you're going to hear about it very soon, I am sure. I am using this microphone because I dropped my microphone in the toilet. Okay, we got that out of the way. I knew that that was going to get to you at some point. You know how this works. <laughs> On that note, let's be serious now. <laughs> okay. First uh, Peter chapter 4 uh, this morning. We're going to uh, go back to First uh, Peter because I was, I've been thinking a lot lately about... Uh, uh, you know what the Bible means when it talks about hospitality. And I've been reading a few books on that, and uh, I'm convinced that it is a way bigger subject than we realize, the subject of uh, being hospitable to each other and, and uh, uh, just how we should interact, not just with, our, with each other, the people that we know in the church, but how we interact with people outside, how we interact with people that are total strangers. So that's what we're going to talk about this, this morning, but uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, we're going to start in uh, verse 7. Uh, it says, The end of all things is near, therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Uh, and as we look into this, the first thing that we have to look at uh, to, to understand what uh, Peter's saying to the church through the Holy Spirit here is... Uh, we have to understand what we're talking about when we when we talk about love. Uh, in verse eight again, it says, "Above all, uh, well, the first thing I want to look at, I guess, is uh, th- what he is saying before he gets to this." In verse seven, he says, "The end of all things is near. Uh, therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled that you may be be able to uh, pray." He says, "The end of all things is is near." And what he's talking about there, when he says, "The end of all things is near," is he's talking about us being the, in the last dispensation of time before the end of all things. That God's mission uh, from day one, he has gone through different, uh, uh, there's been different periods of times where we see different things happening in the lives of God's people. We see in the beginning where God walked in the garden with uh, Adam and Eve. He walked with them in fellowship and communion. And then we see you know, the fall, and then we see the time of the patriarchs, and then we see the kings and judges, all those kind of things throughout the Old Testament period of time. And then we see that there was a period of time before uh, Christ came into the picture where God was silent for hundreds of years. There was no word from God. There was no prophet. There was nothing spoken. Uh, and then we see that Christ came and his earthly ministry, and then on the cross he said, it is finished. The, the goals, the purposes of God are accomplished through Christ. So in that moment, Christ came, he accomplished, he set into motion the plan of salvation, the graces of God, the mercies of God were brought to the world through Christ uh, in that moment. And then uh, the purpose of God is complete. 
That's what Christ is saying. It is finished. The purposes of God are complete here in man. It's, it's available to all of us now. God's purposes, what he was pointing to from the beginning of all things, is now complete in Christ. So now that salvation, the Bible says that now is the day of salvation. We're not talking about one specific day. We're talking about this is the period of time where salvation is available to us. So that's what we're talking about here. The end of all things is near. He's saying the, the plans of God are complete. Now is the day of salvation. And when Christ comes back again, that is it. That is the end of all things. The earth as we know it, everything as we know it, is done. That is the end of all things. Uh, so he's saying in this, he says, the end of all things is, is near. So be clear-minded and self-controlled so you can pray. Uh, he's saying that we need to live in light of the fact that the end of all, God's mission is complete. And we are living in the days that lead up to the moment where Christ could come back at any time uh, and all things are done. Uh, so that's what he's talking about there is, is living in light of uh, the period of time we understand uh, through Christ. And as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, Psalm 90 says, Teach me to number my days that I may gain a heart of wisdom. What he's saying is that you and I, when we get up in the morning, recognize that the days are fleeting, that time is going to be no more. When Christ comes back, that is the end. The end of all things is near. So allow me then uh, that I should pursue an understanding of that and then live in wisdom in light of that. Uh, so that's what he is saying here. The end of all things. You Christians, us Christians, live in light of the fact that the end of all things is coming quickly. We don't know when, but it is coming because we're living in the last days. Uh, and then he goes on in verse 8. He says, uh, he says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. So the thing we have to understand when we begin this passage then is living in light of eternity. He says, above all things, above everything else that I have talked about, above all things, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Uh, and what we're talking about here, as we understand the word love, we've talked about it before, but uh, in the Greek language, there are multiple terms for the word love. And it, it doesn't, our word for love doesn't really uh, have any meaning when it comes down to it because we use it for multiple things. We use it for anything and everything you can imagine. We love baseball, we love uh, certain foods, we love, um, some people love taking naps, whatever you can imagine, people love doing those things. I used to love taking naps. Uh, that was one of my favorite things in life. Um, but we love everything. And then we love our children. We love our spouse. Uh, we love God. But we use the same word in English language to describe all of those things. Now, that wasn't the way it was in the Greek language. And if you don't know that, the, the Greek language is what the New Testament was written in. Uh, uh, so that was the, the beginning of, of all of this, is the Greek language. But there were uh, multiple terms used for uh, for love in the, in the Greek language. And I'm just going to talk about the one today in, that we're talking about in this passage. The word is agape. That is the Greek term for the love that we are talking about. And what it is, what that word means is a sacrificial love that is based not on what I get in return. It is not a contractual love. It is not I'm going to offer you this if I get this in return. It is a love based on... Uh, uh, what I offer to other people. It is a love based on decision. It is a love based on me 
knowing the purposes of God, who he is, that he's the source of love, that I should live in light of who he is, and then I offer that to people around me. It's not based on how they respond to me. The sacrificial love of God is not based on how others react. As I said, it's not an emotion. It's not a feeling that I get. It's not based on how I feel. A lot of times it's not going to feel good to offer the sacrificial love of God. So this love that we are talking about, the love that we are talking, that Peter is talking about here in this passage is not an emotion. It is not based on what I get in return. It is based on the sacrificial love of Christ that was expressed to me and then that I am asked to express to other people no matter what they do or say or how they react. That is what we are talking about in this moment. So he says, above all, above everything else, then love each other, sacrificially love each other, not based on emotion, sacrificially love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Uh, and we get a, a better picture of what this means when we look at passages like 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 4. It says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it doesn't boast, it is not proud, it doesn't dishonor others, it is not self-seeking is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Uh, so that is what we are talking about. The picture of the sacrificial love of God. That is what we are talking about. And I love in the, the King, James, King James Version of this, it says uh, in verse 4, then IV says, love is patient, but the King James says, uh, charity suffers long. Now the word charity, it's, it's, it means the same thing in the language. Charity and love, it means the same thing in the translation. But the picture is him saying that love suffers long. Now what we have to understand, that's, that, that is an intense picture of love. That is an intense picture of what we are called to, that we would suffer long after what God identifies as the things that we should love. Uh, the things that we should offer our affections to. Meaning, in this passage, he says, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Suffer long in love for those around you because your sacrificial love expressed to other people covers a multitude of sins. That is what he is saying right there. Uh, so we have to understand the deep uh, the, the deep call of love is for us sometimes to suffer through something, sacrificing for other people. Uh, and it, it is no different. That, that is exactly what God does for us. God suffers long for us. The Bible says that, uh, I think it's in Romans chapter 3 or maybe 2, but uh, he says that the, the love of God, the patience of God is meant to lead us uh, to repentance. And he says in that moment, he says that uh, he's talking to the people who are taking for granted the love of God. And he says, are you presuming on the kindness of God that is meant to lead you to repentance? And the point is, in, the, in that passage, he's saying uh, that God's kindness forbears our sin for a moment at times, waiting, leading us to repentance. He's waiting, he's patient, he's suffering long, sometimes in the dumb things that we do, he's being patient with us, trying to lead us. He's saying, I'm right here. You are doing something you shouldn't be doing right now. I'm being patient with this so that you will repent. God suffers long sometimes with his people so that we will repent and 
experience the freedom that is available in him. But the point is that God, everything that he calls us to, the things that we see in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, patience, long-suffering, it's kind, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, it always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, never fails. All of those things that you see in the word of God, God's not calling us to those things uh, unless he does them himself. He is the source of all those things. Uh, of a love that trusts, of a love that hopes, of a love that perseveres, of a love that suffers long. He is the source because that's his disposition towards us. Um, so we have to understand that the, that love that God calls us to is not natural to me. It is not something that is naturally in my heart. But the Bible says in Romans 5.5, 5, it says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So the sacrificial love of God, when we receive the Holy Spirit, when I walk in Him, when I receive salvation and walk in the Holy Spirit, He pours out His sacrificial love into my heart and it begins to overflow out of me into those around me. Uh, so we have to understand that God is the source of that. Uh, in Bible, in, it says in uh, Galatians 5.6, it says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor un- uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So what he is saying there when he talks about nothing, it doesn't matter circumcision, uncircumcision, none of that matters. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. What he is saying, that he was talking about religious regulations at that moment where people were trying to live by the law. As we've talked about before, we have a list of you do this, you do this, you do this, you do this, and then you're a Christian. He's saying none of that matters. None of that matters. Number one, because all of those things you have on your list of good religious things to do, if you break one of those, you understand that you are guilty before God. Because the Bible says if you break the law, if you try to live by the law, you break the law in one area... You are guilty of all, breaking all of the law. So the point is that I cannot live by religious regulations. Now that's not to say that there aren't certain things we shouldn't do. Because there are. But you see, the point is that my heart, the disposition of my heart should be out of a love relationship with God to choose to withhold myself from doing certain things. Not so that I can gain merit with God, but because I love God. You see, that is the motivation of all things, that I love God. It's not, you know, people ask all the, all the time, do I have to go to church to be a Christian? I would say that there's a pretty good uh, case biblically, yes, you do. But that's not the question. None of that matters. The question is, do I love God? And as I love God, do I love His people? It's not a question about do I have to do this or not have to do that. That is not the question. The question is, do I love God? And then what can I offer Him out of that? What can I offer Him that is a sacrifice that is worthy of Him? You see, we get all of this backwards. He says, none of that religious stuff that you are talking about matters. The only thing that matters is your faith in God expressing itself through the love of God. That has been poured out into your heart. That is the essence of what we are doing here. That is what all of this is about. That, that, anything else doesn't matter. There's nothing else that matters in church other than our faith in God. Believing He is who He says He is. And then trusting in that. And that then expressing itself in and through me. 
in the love of God, the sacrificial love of God. That is what all of this is about. And if you study the Word of God, you can be sure that that is what will lead other people who are lost to know that God exists and to know that He is real and to know that we are living in truth. That is what this is all about. Faith in God expressing itself in and through me in love. Uh, So he goes on then and talks about... uh, Let me just go back to verse 8 and then to verse 9. He says, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Then he says, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. And I've been caught with this idea of hospitality uh, for the last couple of weeks and trying to understand what the Bible is saying when it says that we should be hospitable towards one another. And the Greek word for hospitality literally means to love strangers. That's what we are called to, to love strangers. Now let's see, it goes into more detail than that if you study it in this context through the Word of God. But what we are talking about is being generous to guests, loving strangers, friendly or welcoming towards strangers or guests, being generous in expressions of kindness and love towards others. Uh, what we are talking about is offering hospitality to one another is being welcome, being, being comforting to those around us. Not just, again, the people that are sitting here beside us that we see every week that we know. That's not what we're talking about. Not only that, that's part of it, but we're talking about loving strangers the same way. Welcoming people that we would make comfortable the people around us, offering hospitality to those people. Uh, so uh, we see Romans 12:13 talks about this. He says, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Hebrews 13:2 says, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, uh, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. And what he's talking about here is goes very deep. This isn't just a matter of us uh, setting up some kind of dinner party for people to come over and make them feel welcome. What we are talking about is in that culture at the time, they would travel between different uh, areas. And obviously now we have cars and we can be somewhere hundreds of miles away in a day and it doesn't matter. Or we can drive 100 miles away in the morning and come home at night. That wasn't that way then. You see, when they would travel somewhere that was hundreds of miles away, they would have to walk or ride animals or whatever they did. And it would take them a long time to make uh, journeys that would take us a few hours to, to, uh, to do now. So the point was in that time that they would actually, among the believers, they would go to different places. And when they got there, they would find other believers to stay with. They didn't necessarily know them at the time. And if you look into the Word of God, you will see that they were told that they should bring a letter of recommendation from someone uh, from where they came so they could present it to the people when they were showing up to stay with them. So the people knew it wasn't just some random person who had no affiliation with, with the believers that was showing up at their house, but they would come from a distant land and they would stay with somebody that they didn't even know. And you could imagine that might inconvenience the person, somebody showing up at your door and asking if they can stay with you. Uh, So the point was, though, that the person who received the stranger was inconvenienced. That's why he says, "Offer offer hospitality to one another without grumbling, without complaining. You see, because when that happened in that period of time, 
the person who received the guest was often inconvenienced. So what he is saying is that we should go out of our way for others. That we should go out of our way for our brothers and sisters in Christ that we know. We should go out of our way for brothers and sisters in Christ that we don't know. If you study the word of God, you will see that he says we should do the same for people that do not know Christ. It doesn't matter if it's convenient for us. It doesn't matter if it feels good. Sometimes it might infringe on some money that you had saved up for certain things. It doesn't matter. Sometimes you might have had your time set aside for a certain task. It doesn't matter. The Bible says that we should offer hospitality, welcoming, comforting, expressing the sacrificial love of God to others. We should do so without complaining. Uh, now, if you, if I, I think Matthew chapter 25, if you want to turn there, gives us a good picture of exactly what we're talking about here when we talk about uh, hospitality. Matthew 25, uh, starting in verse 31. He says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him. He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right uh, in the goats on this left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will say, will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry, feed you, or thirsty, and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. Uh, they will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for the one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So what he is saying then, this gives us a picture of what hospitality is. It is seeing those who are in need. It is seeing those around us who are strangers, uh, who need clothes, or, or are sick, or are in prison. Uh, someone who needs looked after. It is all of those things that God is calling us to then. That is what hospitality is. It is seeing the needs of those around us and inviting them in that we would offer ourselves to them. That's what we are talking about. When we're talking about hospitality, the picture we have of that in America is just us setting up or cooking dinner all day so that people can come over and we can have fellowship together. That is part of it. That We can't exclude that. That is part of hospitality, but that's not the fullness of it. The fullness of hospitality is us expressing the sacrificial love of God to those who need it. That might be somebody who's totally a stranger to you and I. 
That's what we're talking about when the Word of God says that we should be hospitable to each other. And who should be hospitable? Every one of us should. But you see how the Bible speaks to this way more than I ever even realized. When the Bible talks to elders, he says that one of the qualifications to be an elder is that you're hospitable. You see, my call by God to do what I do is to be hospitable. And I better figure out how to be that. But it's not just for me. The Bible says that every one of us should be hospitable. So we've got to figure out, how do I get beyond myself to offer myself and my resources or whatever I have to those around me in life? So the Bible says that we have a responsibility to, to love each other and to be hospitable, hospitable to each other. Then he goes on in First uh, Peter four in verse ten. He says, um, "Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms." Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve. Others faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. And some versions say being a steward of God's grace in its various forms. So what we are saying, we, I know we've talked about this, but what we're saying is that each individual member that composes the body of Christ, those who are saved in Christ, you have been given something, you have been entrusted with something to further the work of the kingdom of God. To, to carry out the work of God's church, you have been given something that I haven't been given. I might have something that you don't necessarily have. We are all meant to function together as individual members of the body, doing the work of the body. I need you, you need me. That is how this works. We need each all of, all of the body of Christ uh, performing its duty, its individual tasks for the body to function in a healthy way. There is no... One person that can accomplish the work of the church by themselves. There is no one on the face of the earth that exists that can do that. Uh, so God has given each one of us his graces in various forms. And we are to be a steward of that. He says that we should use whatever we have to serve others. First of all, that I, whatever I have been given from God, I understand it's not just for my own personal use. It's not just so that I can go and, and build up a life for myself. Maybe I'm talented uh, as, a, as a musician. That's what I did my whole life. But I use that then for the body of Christ. You know, I was, as I was leading worship, I, I had friends who were amazingly talented, talented musicians who would play in uh, restaurants or bars by themselves and never do anything other than entertain people. But the point is what I have been given that I would use that to faithfully administer God's graces then to the body of Christ. It doesn't just have to be that. It could be you, you could be gifted in business. You could be gifted in whatever you can imagine you're gifted in. God has given you that so that you can serve other people. That is first of all what God has given us the gifts for. That we may serve sacrificially other people. And then he says, faithfully administering God's grace in his various forms, that I would use what I have been given 
faithfully to administer God's grace to other people. You understand how humbling that is? Understand how intense that is to think that the God that created all things has looked on my heart and your heart and he has put something of his graces in each one of us that I would then faithfully administer what he has placed in my heart to those around me. That, if that is not humbling to you, I don't know what could possibly be. That the extension of God's graces has been poured into my life that I would faithfully administer to that to the people Around me, and that can only be done out of an attitude of service. That is the only way we could possibly do that. So, God has called us to be stewards of His graces, then. He has also called us to serve beyond ourselves. In verse 11, He says, Anyone who serves, He should do it with the strength that God provides. Understanding, then, that we, when we serve, we do it with the strength that God provides, that sometimes God calls us to minister in ways that are beyond ourselves. It will stretch us. It will make you uncomfortable. It will push us. It will push us out of comfort zones to be able to minister and administer the graces of God that he has poured out into our hearts. That is not always going to feel good. He is going to put us in situations where it is going to feel uncomfortable or difficult. It might even be painful for us sometimes. But God has called us to do it to faithfully administer the graces of God out of the strength that He provides. You see, that takes me walking with God. That takes me living in fellowship and communion with God, walking closely with Him and gaining strength and nourishment. The Bible says that His Word is the bread of life, that we feed on His Word. We gain strength from that. We are healthy in that. We are built up as we walk closely with Him. We walk then in the strength of God out of that and as I do that I can walk into a situation that might feel uncomfortable or straining or painful or whatever it is and I can do that of the strength that he provides because again I have already been walking in him now I know I keep saying this but some we have to understand that we need to be built up today for the work that we're going to do tomorrow I am built up before I get to... We, too many times we get to a place of suffering or pain or discomfort and then we try to figure out where God is when I should have been walking with Him and being strengthened and being built up in health by God all of these days and He's leading me to this place then where I am able to walk in the strength that I have already attained from the Spirit of God. God wants to build us up to be healthy members of His church to perform His functions. To walk in His strength. You see, we can only serve and faithfully administer the graces of God out of His strength. So it is vital that I am walking with Him in a loving relationship daily. Not once a week, not once a month, not once every six months. That will never be sufficient. That will never be sufficient to carry out the work of God. But it takes us walking in a loving relationship daily with God. So we serve beyond ourselves. Um, we also serve to God's glory in, in verse 11. Um, it, he says, If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength that God provides, so that in all things he may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. You see, I can love... In difficult times, I can offer hospitality in difficult times because I understand 
that what I am doing is ultimately for God's glory. It's not for myself. It's not for my comfort. You see, that's, that's not the purpose of this in life. The, the, my purpose, when I receive salvation, when I allow my safe, myself to be offered to God, the Bible says that we should offer ourselves to God as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to Him. This is your spiritual act of worship. That's what it says in Romans 12. That offering ourselves to God in light of His mercy is my spiritual act of worship. So thinking about that, if you can envision in the Old Testament, we see... You know, in the tent of meeting or in the, in the temple, they had, right when you would walk into the outer court, they would have immediately this uh, altar where they would sacrifice, uh, you know, offer the sacrifice as atonement for sin. And you can imagine in, in your mind daily getting up and seeing an altar, an altar laying there before you and having the decision to make, am I going to just walk right by it and continue on in my day? Am I going to hold on to myself? Am I going to hold on to my strength, my power, everything that I have within me? Am I going to try to build my own little kingdom in this world? Or am I going to see that altar in the morning and I am going to choose to lay myself on that before God daily? And when I do that, when I am able to lay myself on that altar before God daily, I am saying that I want God to take every part of me. You see, that's what a sacrifice is. It takes the life of the sacrifice. The only thing that we have to offer is our life. We, we have nothing that is worthy of God. The only thing that I have to offer God is my life, my talents, my time, my position, everything that He has given me. If we read in Revelation, we've talked about it before, that the elders were before the throne, and it says they would uh, kneel before Him and cast their crowns before Him. And in that moment, they were signifying that all my glory, my honor, everything that I have attained, my wealth, my status, everything within me, I lay before God because you are the source of it in the beginning. Everything that I have is offered before you because you are the source. I have nothing out of my own power. Everything is from God in the first place. Now, he may not ask you for that. But maybe he will. The question is, are you willing to offer it? God might He might not ask you to give a crazy amount of money. He might not ask you to, to go across the world and be a missionary for the rest of your life. He might, not, he might not ask you for those things. But the question is, if he did, would you be willing? You see, that's what he's going for, is the disposition of our heart that would say, yes. You're asking me for something that's really difficult. And the answer is yes. You see, the point is, it's not about the question that God asks. It's about the disposition of our heart that is able to say yes or no. So the question today for us is simply, when God asks us to love others, when God asks us to express his sacrificial love to others, when he asks us to be hospitable to others, to love strangers, to be uncomfortable, put ourselves in an inconvenient spot sometimes to offer comfort to others. When he asks us to be a faithful steward of the grace that God has put in my heart, what is your answer? What is my answer? Is your answer today yes? 
Are you willing to do that? Are we willing to go wherever He would ask us to go? Are we willing to offer comfort to whoever He would ask us to offer comfort? Are we willing to offer my gifts and my talents to express God's grace to the people around me? As the worship team comes up and we close this morning. One of the commentaries that I was reading said this. It said that we are to mind the things which the Lord Jesus minded. We are to mind the things which the Lord Jesus minded. To love what he loved. To hate what he hated. The thoughts, the desires, the motives of the Christian should be the thoughts, desires, motives which filled the sacred heart of Christ our Lord. We must strive to imitate him, to reproduce his image not only in the outward, but even in the inner life. Especially here we are bidden to follow his unselfish, unselfishness and humility. You see, our Savior has not asked us to go anywhere that he hasn't gone himself. He's not asking you to be hospitable when he hasn't been himself. He's not asking us to be uncomfortable when he hasn't been himself. He's not asking us to possibly endure pain or hardship for the sake of others when he hasn't himself. That is not what he does. But the God that has created all things stepped out of his place in heaven and entered the misery of mankind so that, number one, he could redeem us, but that he could show you and I the freedom that comes when I get to the end of myself and I step out of my comfort to express sacrificial love to someone else. There is freedom that exists in this. You see, that's what all of this comes down to. The gospel message, aside from us being redeemed, there is freedom that comes in walking in the things that Christ provided for us to walk in. Out of the community of God, out of His graces being poured into our hearts, then there is freedom and fulfillment in life of me faithfully administering that then to the people around me. So is the answer yes today? Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to love sacrificially? Are we willing to be hospitable to even strangers? Are we willing to be faithful with what God has poured into your and my hearts? And as we ask that question today, maybe, maybe you don't know God in that way. And I would urge you to come pray today. You can come over here. Somebody will pray with you. If you want to pray by yourself, come to this side. You don't have to come just because you have something you don't understand about God or have something that you feel like you're lacking. You don't have to come just for that reason. You can come simply because you have the joy of knowing that God has poured His graces into your heart and out of thanksgiving. It could be any reason. But God has given us something and He has asked us then to step into the freedom that comes from expressing that then to the world around us. God, we thank You today for the sacrifice of Your Son. We thank You that He has been faithful to your causes, that he has been faithful to your purposes, and that he has modeled to us a life. That he has modeled to us a life that is truly uh, a life of freedom from what we know 
in the world, a life of freedom from uh, self-centeredness, a life of freedom from walking to please our own desires, our own comfort, our own comforts. But He has given us freedom to pursue the things that come directly from You. And Father, as we understand that You have then poured through salvation, through the Spirit, You have poured Your graces into our hearts. We pray that You would help us to be faithful stewards of the riches that you have entrusted to us. And Father, we wouldn't hold on to those for ourselves, but we would offer those freely to the people around us. Father, we love you. We glorify you today. It's your name we pray. Amen.